0: Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grambacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, a strong and powerful Ashley Willens. Ashley, are you ready to do this?
1: Yes, let's do it.
0: Excellent. Let's do this. Ashley is a PhD. She is an assistant professor at the Harvard Business School in negotiations, organizations, and markets. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, The Economist, Wall Street Journal, and many other outlets. I'm excited to have you on. Ashley, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do.
1: Sure. So, um, yeah, my my name is Ashley. I'm uh, an assistant professor at HBS, um, and most of my research focuses on um, three really important things in life time, money, and happiness. Uh, how can we use our money to buy more and happier time? Why do we sometimes not spend our time in happier ways? And really, how can we move beyond focusing on money to have more time and more happiness in our lives?
0: Those are three and, important things. And of course, <laughs> uh, the, yes,
1: yeah, the, the, the why question is because obviously we know these things. We know that. Having more free time would probably be better than working all the time. We also know that money isn't our most valuable resource. Obviously, time is. And yet, we're so bad, myself included. We're so bad at making decisions that allow us to have more and better time. We feel guilty. We think we're going to have more time tomorrow than we do today. And so I'm fascinated with this question, not because I, I don't think it's not It's kind of obvious in some ways that if we focus on prioritizing time and having more leisure, then we'll have better social relationships. If we treat our leisure as seriously as we treat our work, um, then we would be better at it. (laughs) But I think really what's an interesting part of the work that I do is that, you know, there's a lot of behavioral biases that get in the way from preventing us from having more and better time. And so that's why I'm really fascinated with the question of time is because I think even myself included... Uh, don't don't do it very well and so I'm I'm really obsessed with helping people spend their time and money in happier
0: ways yeah I I appreciate that so when you do finally figure this out I think it's gonna be gonna be good news for everybody so so I I I think that these are some of the most important questions that, that we need to be asking and the closer we can get to solving these problems the better so where do we start
1: Yeah. So, I mean, where we start is small, simple decisions that allow us to have more and better time. I think often when we're thinking about trying to achieve things like work-life balance, we think, well, I'm never going to get there unless I fundamentally change everything about my life. You know, when we think about, you know, trying to be less stressed and have more time and greater happiness, we think of, you know, early retirement. We think of sabbaticals. We think of quitting our current job. Um, And those are all potential paths to greater time affluence and happiness. But my research suggests that we can have more, we can feel less stressed and happier and spend our time in happier ways with as little as $40 or as little as, you know, kind of two hours spent differently or even 30 minutes spent differently. So I think the most important finding or the, the place to start, the most important finding in my work and the place to start is making small, simple changes around the margins that allow us to have more and better time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that certainly makes sense. This idea of work-life balance. I don't know what what, what your thoughts on that. I'd I'd love to hear that. But do we fall victim to comparing ourselves to some kind of a standard that we think that we should have? And that probably is aggravating or we feel like we're doing a bad job, which makes us unhappy?
1: Yeah. So when it comes to kind of like America's obsession with work and making money, it's a complicated problem, but It is driven in part by some of these psychological barriers. We think that by asking for more time at work, that we're going on deadlines, for example, that are adjustable. We think we're going to be negatively perceived um, when really if we ask for more time, we seem more authentic and our managers think we're more motivated to to do well on the task. Um, So we also think like, you know, Well, I'm just going to pursue money for, you know, the next three years, the next five years until I reach some number in my mind. And unfortunately, that's not what people actually do in practice. Um, If you're working a lot now... Um, once you hit that number, you're going to compare yourself to someone with a higher number who's just gotten a bigger promotion or has a better job, and your number is going to change. Um, and that's the idea of kind of hedonic adaptation. that, that we, One, we, we think that money, we over-prioritize and overemphasize money and career success. But two, um, as soon as we kind of land on where we wanted to be a year ago, we our reference point changes and then all of a sudden we think we're going to need even more money, even more success to be happier. So we end up on this kind of treadmill of sorts where we our, our reference points keep shifting and we never really land where we want or where where we think we're going to be happy. And so that's why I really kind of make this argument that we need to be thinking more. We do need to save for the future and we should have career goals and aspirations, but we need to do a little bit less of deferring our enjoyment to the future and have a little bit more enjoyment and free time in the present. Because the present is the moment that we have, and the future is uncertain.
0: Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. So this idea of this hedonic treadmill that we always find ourselves on, right? Mm -hmm. But we all know that we need to be doing long-term planning and then saving for retirement and saving for long-term things, but need to make more money and more expectations, um, and this really, I mean, this is the the problems we've been struggling with with for for such a long time. So talk about that the idea that that just forty dollars or thirty minutes here or there could also really be a key to to a happier life.
1: Yeah, so it's so true. We do have to you know put aside a proportion of our our budget to to saving for the future, and I'm definitely not arguing we should you know not save for retirement or for our financial goals. But my research suggests we also want to be thinking not only about these kind of major life decisions, but also the more minor ways that we spend money and maybe, you know, our discretionary income and being more mindful and thoughtful and careful with the ways that we spend kind of 10, 20, 30, 40, hundred dollars. So my work has found so one project on this, you know, small amounts of money can go a long way in terms of happiness. Kind going to have two critical examples. Um, So one, I during graduate school, I worked with Liz Dunn and Mike Norton and they wrote a book called Happy Money. Um, and in that book, they outline ways that people can spend money to, to promote happiness. And one of a really profitable pathway to greater happiness that I've done work on is spending money on others. So if we all just allocated spending $5, $20, $100 on others instead of buying a material purchase for ourselves, we would be happier. And my research suggests, actually, um, we would experience Um, Improve physical health so I ran a study where I randomly assigned a group of um, at-risk older adults to spend three payments of $40 for three weeks over the course of an eight-week study and what I found is that older adults who spent $40 three times over the course of this study so spent $120 in total on others showed significant reductions in systolic and diastolic blood pressure that were comparable to starting a new aerobic exercise program um in the absence of changing any of the other behavior because we were protected they were protected from the negative experience of stress so every day we walk around and things happen to us that can be really stressful that can cause us our blood pressure to rise um and when we help others we feel more autonomous and in control of our lives so it's kind of counterintuitive but when we help others we actually feel like we are ourselves more capable and competent. Um, and so even just spending $40 um, in a way to help others in, in a significantly meaningful way can have health benefits and happiness benefits. Now, on the time point, my collaborators and I recently ran a study. We just asked this really simple question of how do people spend their time and how does time use relate to clear happiness and how does it relate to how much money people make? So the, the main point of, like the main comparison we did in the paper was people who are really like the top income earners in the world in the Netherlands. So the top 10% of, of uh, people in the Netherlands. Um, and we just did that because that's where we could get access to these really wealthy samples as compared to this representative sample of, of individuals living in, in the Netherlands. Um, and we found that the very wealthy individuals in the sample engaged in leisure activities that were more active, socializing. Volunteering, um, exercising, even if that just meant kind of like taking the stairs or going to the gym. Um, And we found that these active leisure, whereas the representative sample, were more likely to engage in passive leisure, watching Netflix, our favorite category, doing nothing, (laughs) resting, (laughs) relaxing. Um, and, And what we found is that the wealthier individuals in the sample were happier because they engaged in these active leisure activities, but it didn't take very much of any of these activities. To promote greater happiness. So, in our data, spending 12 minutes more um, a day socializing with friends and family, spending, you know, half an hour a day volunteering, spending, um, you know, 15 to 30 minutes engaged in exercise, was was. These are the kinds of differences um, that were predicting greater happiness among those who are wealthier in this sample. And really, again, this iterates like $40, half an hour. The way we spend. Our discretionary income and more importantly the way we spend our time kind of adds up to the way that we live our lives and so if you can start not squandering small minutes of free time and you know small amounts of discretionary income so we don't squander it but we think about it very deliberately we can really make ourselves and our loved ones and the people around us more broadly much happier
0: I think that that makes sense and I think it's really cool that it was actually you know, you you found through your research that spending money on other people does in fact make you happy and the exercise and being grateful and volunteering. And we are the sum of all of our interactions with others and how we spend our time and man, I think that probably if we were to go back and audit how we spent our days, there's probably a million different opportunities we could find to be more mindful and probably be happier.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been advocating, this is super cheesy, but I, I like it. So I've been advocating <laughs> for this idea of a time affluence to-do list. So we're often rewarded with small windfalls of free time each day when we don't even know it, right? So we wouldn't necessarily consider them windfalls, but I consider them windfalls, like like places where we got time where we weren't even thinking about it um, during our morning commutes while waiting in line at our favorite coffee shop when a meeting cancels, when a meeting runs late, um, or someone's running late to a meeting with you, rather. We're given these small pockets of free time, and often because we don't plan for them, uh, we waste them. Uh, We passively scroll on social media, we check our, you know, ever uh, unable to be tamed inboxes, um, and, and... we engage in basically activities that do nothing for our own or others' happiness. And so I've been advocating for this idea of a time and to-do list, a simple list that doesn't have work on it, has ways that you could meaningful, meaningfully connect to others, uh, to read books, to, to do things that kind of you would be constituted as an act of leisure um, in some of these small moments of free time that we often find ourselves with um, because I think you know that's part of the reason people feel really stressed for time is our, our work the nature of our work has changed we're often you know multitasking we don't have set hours we could really you know maybe we have more electronic communication there's you know we're really connected to our technology and but we are still rewarded with small pockets of time and so even though that leisure time might be fragmented or across our day more than it was sort of 50 years ago Um, There are still ways that we can get some of that time back in meaningful ways by being very proactive with these small windfalls of free time that we get every day.
0: I love that. I I love the concept of a time affluence to-do list and then being intentional and mindful of, oh, you know, I I, I, I have this unexpected windfall of 15 minutes. What, What have I decided in advance that I'm going to do instead of just mindly, to your point, scrolling through social media? So I know. So I'm going to take advantage of that. I love it. I think that that's, and I've been taking so many different notes here and the doing our best to crystallize and clarify, clarify and crystallize our values and how we spend our, our money and our time and our attention. I think that if we all did more of that, which is sort of what we're talking about, we'd probably be better off. And then how you put that together with your long term goal setting. I'm just trying to figure out how to, how to coach people through doing a better job of this.
1: Yeah. I think it's really about intentionality. Right. So, um, you know, I, am guilty of this too. I, you know, get a paycheck and I maybe think like, Oh, like maybe I'll just buy the sweater. (laughs) Like, uh, maybe I, I should like at the beginning of the month think like, well, can I allocate money each month with the intention of helping others, having experiences and saving time? Are there, are there ways that I can be more intentional with, again, yeah, yeah, the small amounts of money and time around the margin. I've also started um, advocating for this idea of, and I'm writing a book on happier time right now, just uh, to to put that out there, but advocating for this idea of accounting for time. So you're exactly right. We talked about this on the phone already. We account, we plan for the future, we plan for large, large purchases, um, but we often don't Account for or plan for our time very well. So I've been advocating for this idea of a time affluence to-do list, where we write down, um, you know, sort of these these general activities that we know are good for happiness, socializing um spending a little less time working as it turns out even for people who like being busy and working working more hours than you normally work comes at a cost to happiness so just kind of level setting there for people who are like but I like work even for you working a little less or not taking on overtime all the time is better for happiness than um, working too much um, socializing with friends and family volunteering and and allocating again kind of mapping it onto like one or small moments in time, how like making implementations or intentions around these activities and then going one step further. And I actually help people calculate what the value of that small, simple shift in time use does for their happiness in what I call, very cutely again, happiness (laughs) dollars, happiness dollars, which is the income equivalent of the happiness that you gain from making a time-related choice. So, for example, uh, lots of people don't outsource dislike tasks to others. So even if they're really stressed, say they have their in-laws coming to town and, you know, they're having a busy week at work, um, people feel guilty or feel like it's a luxurious expense to outsource to get someone to do their dry cleaning or to clean their house. Um, and my research has shown that spending as little as forty dollars in a way that saves time promotes happiness by reducing stress. So people should be outsourcing more than they do, um, and that's true kind of across the income spectrum. Um, but I so we know that that costs money. So I've actually like worked out the calculations where if you spend five thousand dollars a year outsourcing disliked tasks to others, things you really hate doing, cooking, shopping, that gives you the happiness value of making. more per year you can actually convince yourself by putting this quantification on the value of your time um, it's one way of convincing yourself that hey making these time-related decisions even if they come at the expense of having money pays off more for happiness than having more money in the first place
0: I love it well actually we've already covered so many great things but savage nation is ready for your difference-making tip what do you have for them
1: my difference-making tip is to be as thoughtful with our time as we are with our money, and think about whether we can spend our time to and our money to connect with those that we care about and to make a difference in the world.
0: Well, that is great stuff. That definitely gets it. come on, come on. So, Ash, I I, I I I want to circle back on that. What what are some of of, of these items that you really would recommend people put on this? To do list. If I did find I had five or ten extra minutes, is it things like reaching out or making a phone call to somebody I haven't talked to yeah, in a while?
1: exactly. So, so um, my colleague um, uh, uh, Jillian Sandstroms. We were PhD students in the Happy Lab at UBC at the same time, um, and she's at Essex University now in the UK. She shows that even simple interactions, even if it's people with people we don't know. Um, can have a really powerful effect on happiness. So if we have a casual interaction with some uh, one of our colleagues we never talked to, and it's as simple as, hey, how's it going? How was your weekend? That these kinds of casual interactions can do more for happiness or as much for happiness as having a meaningful conversation with people you know really well. So the kinds of things I would put on my happiness um, to-do list, my time affluence and happiness to-do list, is exactly that. Um Reach out to a friend you haven't talked to in a while but you've been meaning to chat with. Send them a text message. Uh, call your mom. Uh, read an ebook. book uh, I actually have a list of books on my phone now, which I never used to do. And I was like, why am I not reading books? I really wish I had more time to read books. Right. And now I pick up my phone and I don't read email on my phone. I just keep that to my office computer. I read books. So I read since December, since doing this, like five or six books just in small moments of free time. that. I would have before I told you, I definitely don't have time to read. Like, I I just don't. But now I've actually been able to to read more. Sending notes of gratitude. We kind of mentioned this a few minutes ago. So being really deliberate, not only just reaching out, but saying, hey, you know, I really value you. Um, Or taking a stroll through your office. Uh, You know, we're often so point A to point B at work um, that we don't even, you know, we miss out on opportunities to get to know people that we work with that we might really get along with. So can you just kind of take a slow stroll through the main hallway in your office and see who you might casually bump into? These are the kinds of uh, social ways that uh, we can uh, promote happiness in small pockets of time.
0: I love, it. I love it. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you?
1: You can find out more about me on my faculty webpage. So I'm Ashley Willens at the Harvard Business School. Um, and I recently wrote, um, an HBR article called Time Poor and Unhappy, which, if you're interested in anything um, that I talked about, it's available through my personal webpage, um, awillens.com, for free. And you can find out more about simple strategies for happier time there.
0: Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you've enjoyed this as much as I did, show Ashley your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to awillens.com. And check out Time, Poor, and Unhappy. And I'll link to all those in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Ashley. Thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Before I go, quick announcement. I've been asked by so many people over the past couple of years about how do I start a podcast that I've developed and released a course that will teach you exactly how to do that step by step. From figuring out the kind of show that you want to have to understanding how all the technology works behind it and then how to get great guests and uh, keep the thing moving and how to grow it. So, if you're interested in that, check it out. You can go to georggrombacher.com forward slash podcast course and you'll find it there. You can just go to the website. I'll also list that in the notes of the show. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review.